0: Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Hey, y'all. Before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to give y'all an update that Maddie and I recorded this episode. Lord knows. We recorded this episode at the beginning of the year. I want to say it was around late January, and we kind of just held on to it because We wanted to reconvene with our guest and get a little bit of an update, which we did. So stay tuned till the end of the episode. We were able to sit back down with him for about five minutes and get a little bit in the know and in the now with what's going on with him. So yeah, stay tuned for that. And before we get into the episode, I just want to thank our sponsors, Airfare. You already know, healthy snacks on the go. Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crew, travelers, and aviation businesses. They've sourced more than 50 snacks from small businesses all across North America. And hundreds of pilots love these snacks because they're healthy, they're unique, they have a long shelf life, so they keep you feeling great on the line. Um, My personal favorite thing about these snacks is that they have no added sugars, oils, They're plant-based, so you can really feel good about what you're putting into your body. So if this sounds like something you're into, you can use our code PILOTSPODCAST to get 50% off your first order of customizable snacks at airfarepouch.com. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie.
1: What up, what up, guys?
0: And we are here with a guest today that is going to remain anonymous. We will be referring to him as Goose.
2: Hey, guys. uh, Nice to meet you all. Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, So I'm going to go by Goose. Um, Just a little background. Um, I'm currently an FAA contractor um, working as a program analyst uh, for the FAA. Um, I'm also a private pilot uh, with my instrument rating. And I'm currently going through the SI process. So hopefully you guys can get, get to know me a little bit today and um, we'll, we'll see what happens.
1: Awesome, Skylar. We're, we're happy that you're here and happy that we get to talk with you today. So we usually like to start off the show with asking how you got into aviation and what your journey looked like on your way to your PPL.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up in a small town um, in Florida. Um, we have a pretty big air show every year, um, and my parents used to take me as a kid, um, so I kind of grew an interest uh, into aviation through that. Um, from there, I started flying flight simulators um, and then kind of got into RC airplanes. Um, eventually, a, a uh, lucky for me, an um, aviation high school, kind of like an aviation-focused high school. Uh, opened up in my um, town, and so they were offering a um, flight scholarship, and and basically that covered about 90% of the cost for your PPL, Um, so I got that, and got my PPL, and then um, after graduating, I I went to college, um, got my instrument rating, and then after that was working on my commercial license, so
0: nice my um my brother and sister actually went to an aviation high school it was like a aerospace academy charter school but they yeah. worked side by side with a college that also had a flight school so you could like do a bunch of prerequisite classes during high school and then after high school after you graduate you could go immediately into flight school and get your ppl um which was like i just think that's honestly a really really cool way to do it.
2: That was a pretty cool experience Um, and I kind of got lucky that right when I was going into high school they kind of it just opened up so um, it was yeah I'm very thankful for that and that's kind of what brought me to where I'm at today. So
0: Nice so I wanted to ask you you know I know a little bit about your story and that you were kind of on the path to becoming an airline pilot um but you've kind of had some things not necessarily go your way um what kind of hiccups have you faced along your journey into aviation
2: yeah so I was you know I was in college hoping to make it to the airlines um that was kind of my uh, big goal um when I graduated college was gonna try to flight instruct and build time that way um but back in 2019, um, started experiencing um, kind of like heart palpitations, um, and we weren't weren't quite sure what the cause was. Um, did a lot of uh, cardiac testing and uh, was placed on a heart monitor for, for about a month, and basically nothing abnormal was really found uh, relating to the heart itself. Um, so essentially, the primary care doctor and then cardiologist kind of suspected that it was most likely anxiety um, causing the uh, heart palpitations and the other symptoms that occurred. Um, so that's kind of what has brought me. And then I was obviously placed on medicine for the anxiety, uh, which seemed to help. And then that's kind of how I got onto the uh, SSRI uh, pathway. i
1: uh I remember you telling me a story because we always have these pre-pod interviews with all of our guests, but that you were very lucky in the sense that you're the doctor that you went to see put you on Lexapro, which is one of the four approved SSRIs. And I remember you also kind of telling me what was going on when you were having these anxiety attacks, which I think is very important, Uh, understanding the situational stress that goes on around why you're having anxiety or an anxiety attack in your case um, so can you explain what the circumstances were when you had, when you had this anxiety attack?
2: Um, yeah, so as far as where I was at in life, um, like I said, I was in college, a full-time uh, college student taking a full course load. I was also working two other jobs, just kind of had weird hours. Um, one of them was, uh, uh I was kind of a ramper at, um, my Airlines in, in my college town. Um, so the, obviously, you can imagine the hours were a little funky. But um, so yeah, at the time, I didn't really think much of it. I've uh, throughout my life, I've kind of had a lot of on my plate as I go. Um, but I think it just kind of the stress and, and whatnot of life and, and college and the jobs I had kind of built up and um, might have led to these you know, heart palpitations, as I said, um, some other symptoms I had when it occurred is kind of was feeling a little lightheaded, uh, getting, you know, sweaty feet and palms, kind of like I just had to run a marathon or something. And obviously the biggest thing was I could feel like my heart rate was pulsing um, kind of out of my chest. And when I, I had like an Apple watch and I would, you know, take the heart rate measurement and it was like 160, 180 beats a minute. Obviously that's, not normal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it was. I think it was just a combination of the stress of the multiple jobs. Um, you know, having to graduate soon. It was my senior year, um, so, of college, and then I was also doing the commercial um, flight lessons. So it was a lot on my plate, and I think it just kind of built up, and I didn't notice. Um, if that kind of makes sense.
1: Oh yeah, you know, it totally that, does. I think a lot of people don't realize that you know, when you have all of these different situational stressors, as we like to call them, that they can all compound and come to this fever pitch. And then they definitely contribute to your anxiety and in some cases in a full-blown like anxiety attack, which you were having.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, it's definitely not a good feeling, but Yeah, it just kind of builds up um, in the background and, you you know, you might not even imagine it. I never really thought I was a very, like, anxious person, but, um, you know, now that I've been on the Lexapro for quite some time now, it seems to have kind of cured the issue. Uh, I haven't really had these symptoms since since I started um, on the medication, so so that is a good thing.
0: Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm glad that you, you like feel better. Cause I can't imagine that. Ugh, like anytime my heart races, if I'm like nervous or anything like that, it just, I, we talk about it all the time. I tell Maddie, I'm like, I'm so sweaty right now. Like <laughs> I just get sweaty. My stomach hurts. Like it's just, that is never a good feeling. And then to have it like affect something that you love. I can't imagine, which brings me to like, How did it feel when you started down the SSRI, SI pathway? Did you feel optimistic about the process or did you have any trepidation when you first started?
2: Yeah, obviously I was kind of heartbroken that I had to, you know, put down aviation. Um, It's kind of my passion and uh, where I, you know, wanted to end up with my career, uh, hopefully as an airline pilot or um, professional pilot one day. But you know I think I was also lucky in the regard that you know as Maddie said earlier my primary care doctor prescribed me you know one of the four SSRIs um, that the FAA allows pilots to take uh, yeah. on the SSRI pathway so that was a good thing so I was kind of optimistic um, that they had this pathway um, so you know the road you know it looked pretty grim but um And I have a few friends, you know, that have gone through it. So I was a little optimistic in that regard, too. um, That has successfully gone through it, I should say. Um, I knew, you know, it would take a long time. Um, I didn't expect it to take this long. Like I said, I'm still in the process. Hopefully we're, you know, at the end of it, hopefully. Um, But, you know, the biggest thing was kind of just seeing, you know, all the medical professionals the FAA requested. Uh, which, you know, that's, those visits typically aren't covered by insurance. Um, so that's a big expense to incur. Um, and that, that was really the biggest thing. And then just the time it took um, just waiting so long. That...
0: Yeah. Go ahead, Emma. No, yeah. I just, I was going to say, I can't imagine what it's like to wait in that process. We spoke to a previous guest and we were t- discussing the timeline and it's just, wow. Like I can't even imagine.
1: Yeah. And I kind of is- was wondering like with the process, when you started down it, did you even realize it was going to be this long of a process? Cause I feel like it, it seems like, okay, if I have to go down this special insurance process, it should be like straight to the point and you have this checklist, but then it also seems like you're in this gray area and you have no idea what's going on.
2: Yeah. It's really like, like, I figured it might take, like, all of my friends kept asking me, like, how long is it going to take to get your, yeah, your medical back? And I was like, I really don't know. Like, I heard some of my friends who have been through it, they, they took um a year, and that's kind of what I was planning for. Um, but, you know, here we are nearly two years later from starting it, and I still don't have it. So um, I guess it just really depends on the particular case um, of the person that's going through it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a long time to wait for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, 24 months seems ridiculous. And especially because in your case, you have this prescribed SSRI that is okay with the FFA for you, FFA for you to take. And then, but it's taking so long. And we just heard at the UND summit for mental health (laughs) that they were like, (laughs) we, we want to get it down to six weeks, the process down to six yeah. weeks. And we're like that, but you guys are taking 24 months right now. Um, so can you like give us insight? Because the reason why this process takes a long time is because you have to go down this process of paperwork. It's like a pathway of paperwork. So can you tell us kind of the testing and the paperwork that you've had to do with this in this pathway?
2: Yeah. So, um, Yeah, so I I didn't know much about it at first. You know, I talked to a few friends who've been through it. Um, Luckily, there's a, you have to go see a um, Hims AME, which is kind of like a designated FAA AME that's um, specifically designated to deal with these kind of um, cases. And so I went to go see him. He didn't seem that knowledgeable on the, the whole SSRI pathway, which maybe has, you know, caused me to suffer, um, to wait longer, um, but, you know, there is, you know, the first thing I had to do was go see a therapist, um, kind of get a report from him, um, that took, you know, the report took a while to get back from him, um, and then that was sent back to the Hens AME, uh, and then the next thing I had to do was kind of a neuropsych- I had to go see a neuropsychologist, um and then do, you know, the dreadful cog screen, uh, which is part of the this pathway. Um, one of the required things you have to do. And it's it's like a super outdated test. Um, it looks like something from like the 80s or something, but um and it doesn't seem to be really related to, you know, the, the things they ask you, it's not related at all to um, flying or aviation at all. Um, it's kind of it's really kind of stressful just if they give you like this stylus and it, it's like makes like inputs that you didn't mean to put into the uh, tablet thing they give you and it's just it's very long um but I did that and I think I did a fairly good job on it and um but yeah that was probably the most dreadful part was that uh cog screen but
0: did was your were you able to get to a hymns ame close by like how far did you have to travel to get to your hymns ame
2: yeah like i said luckily there was one nearby um he was about an hour away um in florida so but like i said he wasn't he didn't seem too knowledgeable on yeah. the uh, whole ssri pathway which i think kind of maybe added some time to, to me waiting Um, just because he didn't know how to navigate all the paperwork and whatnot, Um, so.
0: Yeah, that's something Maddie and I discuss a lot is like the, the, the power dynamic with the AME and how we personally feel that the AME needs to have a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more power. And it definitely sucks that like the one resource that you really have that, you know, the unit that's supposed to be there to kind of guide you and help you with this, wasn't really doing their job it sounds like um yeah. I mean as far as that like how much did this process was this a financial burden for you
2: yeah I mean like I said I had just graduated college so um, I was kind of on the job point when I graduated um so I didn't have a ton of money to be spending on on all of this but like I also said it you know aviation's my passion and um That's kind of my end goal is to, you know, be a professional pilot eventually. Um, So I knew I had to stake out the money. Um, And yeah, it it was a pretty big burden, Um, you know, thousands of dollars. Like I said, these tests that they require aren't typically recovered, aren't typically covered um, by insurance companies. So um, it's coming pretty much 100% out of your pocket. Um, So it's a pretty big burden.
1: You know, one of the things that we like to do is highlight the cost because that is one of the aversion pillars a lot of the times is that these, the, these, they know that the tests cost so much and there's never really a clear cut pathway to know how many tests they're going to do on you. And you had mentioned that there was kind of like this test out of the blue that they wanted you to take and it it stems back from when you were a young child. So can you expand on what what that was
2: yeah, so I think yeah I mentioned that last time um, when we talked, but um, essentially I guess when when they were reviewing some of my paperwork um, that I had sent after I finished all of the required testing um, that they asked, they must have seen the FA, uh, must have seen something in regards to like a childhood asthma um, issue I had when I was like probably eight or ten years old. Um, and they must have seen it on my record somewhere. And, and then they sent me a letter back and said, um, we're going to need you to get a pulmonary function test. Just to, um, I guess, make sure my breathing and all that was uh, normal. Um, and then also get a current report um, from a pulmonologist. Um, so luckily, everything seemed to be in the clear as far as the, the pulmonary function test went. And, um, but that did set me back a little bit um on this pathway so
1: it always seems like the fa is like okay how can we like draw this process out a little more because we just don't have enough people so what can we find (laughs) for them to take another test so you just make this last just a little bit longer
2: yeah yeah it's really unfortunate but um yeah it seemed to be the case (laughs)
1: I I know that's also like another reason why pilots, when they're thinking about it, they're like, well, what are they going to find in my records? And will I have to do some tests, which also adds to your stress? Because for you, I mean, you probably know that your heart is fine, but even just thinking like, what if I go to the pulmonologist and they're like, Well, you have something wrong. And, and then that's scary. So it's always like the what ifs for me, I always think like five steps ahead. And I'm like, well, what if this happens? What if this happens, which is also part of anxiety, but it's good to note that that's part of the aversion as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's, it's upsetting that they make you jump through so many hoops. And you would think in a time, like right now, we just recorded an episode about Single pilot operations, but it was heavily focused on like the pilot shortage. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- th- you said it's taken 24 months. You know, you, by that point, you might have been, you know, who knows how many hours you would have in your logbook right now. You might be yep. on the path to being at the airlines and further decreasing the pilot shortage. So it's just, it's baffling to me that they go so far back um, into your medical history. And, make it such a big deal. And I understand the safety aspect, but wow, it is, it's bizarre hearing it firsthand.
1: Well, also because Skylar, you already had your first class medical before you had had that (laughs) process. So it's like, why didn't they ask you about this beforehand? Like they didn't ask when you, when you first went and got your first class, So it seems counterintuitive to me to even ask about that. It's like, you didn't care before, but now you care.
2: Yeah, I don't really quite understand why they came back with that. Um unless it's all something, I don't know. But um yeah, it's pretty pretty annoying and you know, it just set me back, you know, even further. And like, you know, Emma said, like right now is a is a crazy good time to, you know, enter the um enter the airlines if you're a pilot. So uh, I can only imagine like where I'd be, but I mean hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Maddie and I talk a lot about like the changes that could be made on the FAA level so that aviators can get back into the sky where they belong. If there was one thing that you could change about the SSRI process, that's such a mouthful. What would it be and why? Like, Has there been one thing during this whole process that just has really bugged you or you wish would change?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just kind of the lack of visibility on between me and the FAA and like where I'm at and after I sent off the paperwork and everything, it's just nearly impossible to get like a status update on it without constantly calling um, the DC office and requesting that update. Um, There's just, there's just like zero visibility, like I said, once it's sent off and Typically, the FAA, they only communicate with airmen who are going through this process through snail mail, which obviously takes forever. Mm -hmm. So um, I think if they could, like, develop some sort of maybe like an online portal or something in which, you know, you could just log in and, and check the status of your SI, that would be just a huge help just to see where it's at. And, you know, it might even alleviate some stress on on the person applying, um, yeah. Throughout the process, so.
0: yeah. We talk about that a lot. Just like the fact that nothing is online. Nothing is digital. It's all yeah. pretty much, it's all paperwork. Like Maddie said, it is like the trail of freaking paperwork. And I mean, uh-huh. that in itself is just so archaic and it makes the process way more confusing. And you're coming into an age where, I mean, I hate to say it, but like kids don't even learn cursive anymore. You know what I mean? We're <laughs> moving to a point where everything is over the computer. I, I, I'm talk- I've I'm talked to kids that don't even know how to send mail So, you know what I mean? And they're not even taught how. (laughs) So, I mean, what are we going to, we can't, we can't keep the, this, this process like this. And I think you're exactly right as far as making some kind of online portal so that at least you can upload things much easier. It's easier for everyone to have those roles and send that information and be able to receive the information back.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It would definitely help out a lot, Let's
0: just pray. It's not like IACRA though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just like, I'm thinking of how I do stuff with my own doctor, my naturopath and she, everything's online. We even have, she gives us the option to do zoom meetings online so that we don't even have to come in, which is nice because sometimes you just need to talk to them for 10, 20 minutes And I can see everything that I take online. Um, I can see, I can make my appointment online. I can order my supplements online. And so it's just like, why is the FAA still so archaic? And back in like 1960 with everything, just like upgrade your system, guys. We live in a technologically advanced world now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like right, right now, like, um, at Duke, like the doctors that I go see whenever, you know, OBGYN, whatever, I, I have an online portal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You go and I can log in. I can make appointments. I can see, you know, who's available at what time, what, what all was done at my previous appointment. So it just, like Maddie said, like you've said, it really makes no sense.
1: Yeah, truly. So gosh, goose, <laughs> goose, goose. We'll, we'll
0: bleep it out.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: I'm so used to calling you by your name. Uh, yeah. What advice would you give an aviator going through the pathway that you're on, the SSRI, Specialist's Pathway, or what would you tell someone who is on the fence, who is kind of skeptical about going down this pathway?
2: Yeah, well, first off, if someone's on the fence, you know, and, you know, aviation's truly where they want to be at, and they're able to, you know, go through the pathway if they're on one of the the four SSRIs, I would say, it's you know you should do it it's really your only shot you know at getting back into the pilot seat um so that's kind of how i thought about it um you know it's a long it's a long road but until you know further reform is is made uh, which i know you guys are, are working on but um until that's you know made uh, you just kind of have to be patient which really really sucks but <laughs> to put it simply but um, you know, I would recommend undertaking the process, keeping you know in mind that it's, it's going to be expensive, um, and you're going to have to wait a lot. But uh, hopefully, you know, at the end of the day, you get you know that SI that that you're hoping to get. Um, and yeah, the, the biggest thing, I mean, just be patient. Um, you're going to have to get a lot of your records together, so I would prepare for that um, before you start the process. Um, cause you never know what the FAA is going to ask for. So if you have all of that handy, um, that might reduce some of the delays, um, that the FAA imposes. So yeah. Um, being patient, getting, getting your medical records, uh, organized probably the two biggest things and just keeping in mind, um, the financial burden is going to be.
1: Yeah. I think that's pretty sound advice. Cause I, I do get those questions a lot in my DMS and, you know, I'm very uh, tempered with what I say, because I do know that not, even if you go down the same exact pathway, even if someone is on Lexapro, just like you, I feel that, you know, there's still, it's never the same. Everyone has a different experience on that pathway.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah like I said, it's, it's unfortunate, but the biggest thing is, is probably just be patient um, and kind of be thankful that, you're on one of those uh, four SSRIs that they allow at this point.
1: Exactly.
0: So I think you'll have really great success. I mean, I think you've pretty much, it seems like you've checked all your boxes and I really do hope that everything goes your way, but if it doesn't, and I hate to ask this, but how do you think that will impact your mental health?
2: Um, You know, at this point I'm I'm at a pretty good um, state as far as my mental health goes, but um, I haven't, you know, I haven't logged PIC time since the end of 2019. Um, It's been, you know, over two years now, and I've kind of accepted the fact that I might not be able to fly again, um, just the way it is. But um, so I don't think as far as my mental health goes, um, I don't think it would be that huge of an impact um I would be heartbroken obviously but you know I can always I can always work to repeal the decision if if it's denied um or you know work with someone like you guys to try to you know reform the process um that's probably what I would do if if I got denied is just try to work as as hard as I can to to help reform it
0: yeah I think it
1: really takes like someone who who is like you to go down those pathways and and stay strong. And I love that you, that you know, that you'll be okay if you don't get your special issuance. Cause I think a lot of times for pilots, that is the thing that when they're in the very beginning of the process, they think to themselves, you know, if I, if I don't pass this, if I don't get my special issuance, that'll be the end. And, but I think because you've been going through it, you've been pretty positive in my opinion about the process and everything, even though you've had to wait for so long that you've come out on the other end and you've, and you, and you now recovered kind of from that anxiety and everything and, and your medication's working great, which I love. Um, and you're able to be okay with that, that you're not, that maybe you wouldn't, but I do have a lot of hope that you will get your special issuance just because it has taken so long and you are going down the pathway that they say they approve. So um, and you're at the end of it, as you had mentioned earlier, right? You're at the end of the process.
2: Yeah. Um, well, hopefully, uh, I got a call the other day from uh, Washington, D.C. That FAA that um, that they finished reviewing my case, um, and they sent it off to Oklahoma City for a final decision. So, and that should they said there should be an update um, by mid-February. So hopefully um, there's a, there's a good decision soon. And, you know, if not um, I'm still going to be optimistic. And like you said, there's other options. Um, I've, you know, there's always other options. Uh, it's not all all about flying. There's a lot of different um, aspects in aviation that I could work in and um, help with the reform uh, for this, for the mental health for pilots. So
0: Yeah.
1: I love that too. And I think like, you had just mentioned too, like we were supposed to record last week and you said you needed to go flying. And I was like, yes, go flying. Cause you haven't flown <laughs> in so long. So you do have the option to still fly, right? Like you, it's just that you wouldn't be able to go to the airlines.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can still, you know, fly with an instructor and, and log um, instruction in my logbook. book, but um, as far as, you know, being pilot in command uh, that wouldn't be possible without a medical. So
1: okay that makes sense and and it's still good that at least you can like get back up into the sky because i think that would be very detrimental if you could never ever fly again um yeah we now just want to get into some fun questions because we hate before to end, like, or before go ahead, we get Emma.
0: into fun questions i just wanted to say i Um, goose, I really admire you because I know that it takes a lot of strength to be able to be okay with not being a pilot. Um, and I know we've, we've talked to people on here before, but it does become like a huge part of your personality and who you are and to separate yourself from it and say, okay, I can be okay without it. It takes a lot of strength. So I just, small applause. Yes. Anyways, Um, now to the fun questions. (laughs) Yes, we're
1: grateful for your stories, guy. I think it's really going to be inspirational to a lot of people and and help them. And that's why we wanted to have you on. But with that, let's get into some more lighter questions for you. So, are you a Boeing guy or a Airbus guy?
2: Um, I would say Airbus. I like the side stick and the you know the fly by wire uh, automation they have.
1: Emma what about you Oh
2: gosh
0: see like I love aviation but I'm just I'm not like that much of a geek enough to know but I would definitely say Boeing I mean they've had a, a few a few you know just the past few months in the past year hasn't been great but I do believe in what they do
1: <laughs> yeah I have a so It really doesn't matter what I think because I don't fly, but I will say I have, like when my dad passed away, I got all his airline paraphernalia and all this stuff. So I have this little um, pin and it says, if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. So because I have that, I'm just going to say Boeing.
2: Nice. I will (laughs) say though, um, one of my favorite airliners is an MD-80. So I just got to shoot that out there. Mad dog. Yeah.
1: That's my nickname too. So I can I can get done with
0: that. I love like Maddie knows more about like airplanes than I do. I'm like, um mm, uh single engine, multi-engine, seaplane, Cessna. <laughs> so, I think up with the
1: pool crowd. Yeah, like I don't really know that many things about airplanes, but because I, I did work around mad dogs when I was working as a ramper, that's why I know what an MD80 is because oh, that's yeah. the only plane allegiant. Was flying and I and I don't know if that's still the only fleet that they have, but um, I think right now they
2: have all Airbus, but yeah, they yeah. cycled out the MDs.
1: The I just remember <laughs> when I was ramping, the MD80s were always getting worked on by maintenance, and the callings <laughs> were always open. I was like, I want to fly on that plane.
2: <laughs> my first, uh, my first ever airline flight was actually on a Allegiant uh, MD80.
1: <laughs> How was that? It was good,
2: not eventful
1: (laughs) I'm scared of Allegiant, honestly. So I was just wondering if you had any crazy times there.
2: No, luckily not. Okay.
1: (laughs) All right. Next question is, what's your, I know that you like traveling. So what's your favorite place to travel to in the United States?
2: Yeah, I'm still trying to um, get to all the 50 states this year. So, but I've been to, um, I think about 30 at this point and just went out, to, at the end of the last year, went out to California um, and rode on the Pacific Coast Highway. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, spectacular views. So I would probably say that at this point.
1: Cali. Where Where'd you go in Cali?
2: Um, so a couple of friends and I flew into L. A. We did, you know, a road trip on the P. C. H. up to uh, San Francisco. So.
1: Was it foggy when you went to San Fran?
2: um yeah it was it was pretty foggy I don't know (laughs) if you guys
1: like know this but uh, San Francisco has a specific Instagram page Carl called Carl the fog like for the fog in San Francisco
2: funny
1: (laughs) I love it because um I just went I think that was last week I went to San Francisco with my husband on his trip on his last trip as a first officer and it was beautiful like clear skies yeah I saw that yeah I was like yes Carl isn't here today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't think you could, you couldn't even make out the um, the Golden Gate Bridge too well, but it was yeah. still a good time.
1: I love the city. Like we walked, uh, I looked at my, my phone and looked at how many steps we took and it, and converted into miles. And it said we went seven and a half miles all over the city. We we're just like walking up and down all the hills. It's, it's oh, yeah. such a fun town to just walk around. So what about right. you, Emma?
0: I haven't, I feel like I haven't traveled much in the United States. I mean, I've been all, up and down the East coast and like a little bit inward, but the furthest West I've ever been is Colorado and that's it. And I, I mean, I definitely say Colorado, Colorado is way better than the East coast. And I've been to everywhere on the East coast. And it's just, uh, you know, I love North Carolina. That's where I live right now. Um, and South Carolina is great, but I don't know. I definitely, I love Colorado.
1: Yeah, Colorado. I I agree. Like, and I'm from the West side, like Colorado is so beautiful. I went to Colorado Springs, which is like, I think like an hour North of Denver. And that place is so awesome. Like, it's like a recreational playground. You just go and climb, hike, do whatever.
0: So bad. (laughs) I'm going to have to, Maddie, I'm like, (laughs) I'm having to whip my pen out. I'm like, I know.
1: I'm sorry, guys. Okay. I'm terrible with aliases. And because I have talked to you so many times, I'm so used to calling you by your name. Um, so I thought you were just in Denver.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I was uh, two weekends ago. I was in uh, Boulder uh, visiting a friend. Yeah, it was pretty spectacular. But...
0: So what about you, Maddie? Where do you, What's your favorite place in the United States?
1: Hmm. That is so tough for me. And I have been to all 50 states. Uh, I know you don't like the East Coast as much as the West Coast, Emma, but I really enjoyed Maine when I went to Portland, Maine with my husband, even though it was like exact same weather as uh, Seattle where we're from. <laughs> I I don't know what it is. It's like on the same parallel, but I really yeah. loved Portland. And they have, I didn't, So at the time I wasn't really eating seafood and now I want to just like kick myself for it because I told my husband, you got to eat this lobster roll for me. But he was like, this is so amazing. And now all I can think about is the lobster rolls and I'm like, I need to go back. So just so I can have a lobster roll over there.
0: Yeah, apparently they have good seafood. Like that's the big thing. I'm not, see, I grew up in North Carolina. So I'm like, I don't, I'm like weird about seafood. Like I like shrimp. I'll eat an oyster, I'll eat crab, scallops, but in any pretty much, you know, any kind of fish that you can catch in this general area, but lobster, I just don't know why I don't like it.
2: Yeah, and then there's certain the fish that way. I don't like. I don't really? like
0: lobster. No, yeah. I don't know why it's too fishy. Uh,
1: yeah. What? I feel that way about like seaweed or yeah, uh, ew, seaweed. non-white uh. fish, like fish that isn't white. Also not a fan of rib. see. I
0: don't like salmon and but you don't catch salmon here. So like I don't like salmon.
1: Yeah, lobster <laughs> and shrimp tastes similar. So but also it's probably a good thing you guys don't like lobster because it's so freaking expensive. That's true. true. <laughs> I think oh, uh,
2: crab legs, yeah. Crab? Mm. Oh yeah. Like- crab legs, yeah.
1: Oh yeah. See, I like crab too. I uh it was just I just was reminded of the time jesse and i went to greece and they had lobster i'm like wow they have lobster here let's get it and we didn't look at the price Oh, yeah then after we got the ticket it was like freaking like a 90 dollar lobster tail
2: <laughs>
1: oh my. i was like all right that was our splurge for the trip <laughs> i don't know why it was so expensive guys because i think it's because they probably import it there um yeah i don't know how they got lobster even though it is around the ocean i just don't think lobster is like a main thing there but moving on now that we know my love for lobster and how expensive it is what's the most embarrassing moment in your life
2: oh i had to think about this um but i will say so last year i went skiing for the first time nice. and uh i nearly died um my friend uh urged me to go on the more I was getting really good on the bunny slopes and then he he wanted to go on the uh, intermediate slopes and I basically just tumbled down the mountains <laughs> it was it was pretty awful but
0: nice, I nice always but laugh. it's never too late to learn
2: <laughs> yeah sure. I
1: always laugh when people fall I'm one of those people
2: <laughs> yeah my skis were, were coming off and they kept coming off and the guy behind me kept picking them up for me you call that a yard
0: sale (laughs) that's what you call a yard sale (laughs) hey if you don't yard sale at least five times when you first learn how to ski you're not learning you're not trying yeah what about you maddie most embarrassing moment in your life
1: so i was like jogging my brain just now and i think one of my more recent which is like in the last 10 years was when I was working at the airline as a ramper and I had to push back a 737 and I was qualified to push back, but I was so used to pushing back the Q400, which you can just like whip around and it's super easy. It's smaller plane also. With the 737, it's like very slow and methodical. And also everyone knows Maddie is not a patient woman. So I'm pushing it back and Allegiant is also boarding their plane right behind um alaska and i push it back well it's i can't push it back anymore because the blowback from the engines will bother the passengers on the allegiant plane and Mm -hmm. i can't tow it either because i'm not tow qualified and my trainer is also not from the station and he's not tow qualified so he can't tow it and also, when this happens, the pilots always get pissed if you push it back wrong or it's not going fast. They're like, what's happening? What's going on? And I'm like, well, I can't tow, And the trainer is not toe qualified. And they're like yelling in my ear. And then like my anxiety is starting to rise because I fucked up and I hate messing things up too. <laughs> and I got to get out of the, t- the tug. I have to have uh, another ramper because he's like the only one toe qualified toe qualified and he comes in and and push toes it back but that probably took a 30 minutes and then from that day on I was like I'm never pushing back a 737 ever again (laughs) and I was very embarrassed you guys (laughs) so what about you I cannot
0: even imagine I would be like I would be crying I would just cry like (laughs) I get to those points where like, if I embarrass myself too much, I just cry. Like I'm crying. (laughs) Yeah. I was
1: just (laughs) mad at myself and I was like, never, never again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I
0: I had to think about this one because like, I feel like anything embarrassing that I've done within the past five to 10 years, I've completely just erased from my memory. But there's one thing that. I've just never been able to, to, it's never been able to erase. It goes in the trash bin, but somehow it always finds its way back up to the top. In elementary school, we were in the lunch line, you know, I'm talking to my friend, we're walking through the lunch line, going pretty slow, but it starts to pick up and move. And I think this was like my first year at this elementary school. And I want to say it was like within the first month of school we're walking through the lunch line, I'm talking to my friend and I walk straight into like a, it was probably like two feet wide, like pillar that they had in the middle of the room. Just, you know, a flat wall, pretty much. Oh, just walk straight, straight into it, straight into it. And it made the, it just made this noise and the whole entire cafeteria, like, you know, there's chattering, people are talking, everyone falls silent and all the chairs just, ah, to look at me and I'm like I literally I cried on site was crying <laughs>
1: you lived up to your embarrassing crying moment
0: no I mean that that was it for me and that's one that I've just I've never been able to forget that because like literally the whole I think it was like third grade third grade or fourth grade class was in the lunchroom, room and I did it. oh god I'll never be able to forget And it hurt too. That was the other thing is like, it was painful, but you cannot think about the pain in this moment. All you can think about is your reputation.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You gotta try to walk it off.
0: Yep. Yep. Don't let them see the tears. (laughs) And that's the worst part. That's even more embarrassing is like, if somebody sees you crying, then you're trying to stop the crying, which kind of makes the crying worse.
1: Yeah. I just run away. (laughs) If if I'm going to start crying, I'm like, no one's going to see this.
0: (laughs) Dude, that or like when you're in the lunch line, this reminds me of, you know how, okay, this is what's so messed up about like the American school system. I saw somebody talking about this this week, but like the fact that you would have to pay for lunch, like you would have like a little account and your parents would put money in it for lunch and sometimes you know they wouldn't be on time with the payment you know mom Mm -hmm. dad they be forgetting i don't blame them it's fine it's whatever but you get up there and you go and you get all your food you have it on the plate and they're like um student two three four nine you only have 29 cents in your account and you're like (laughs) uh you're like i (laughs) have no
1: money to my name what do you want me to do
0: yeah like am i not eating today (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd always ask. And thank God they were always nice to be like, no baby, which I always, they were always nice. They'd be like, no baby, you fine. Just, just make sure you bring your lunch money tomorrow.
2: Huh.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, most embarrassing moment of my life. Well, uh-huh. with that, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and wrap up this week's episode. Thank you so much, Goose, for coming on the show and joining us today. Um, We really hope that you have all the success when it comes to your SI pathway and let us know how everything turns out. I hope you get a letter by mid-February. Hey, guys. So we are back with our guest, Goose, and we don't usually do this, but we have some really, really exciting news that we really would like for him to share with you. So, um, Goose, just take it off and give everyone an update.
2: Yeah. So um, back in uh, February, uh, mid-February, I got a letter from the FAA that um, I've been granted a special issuance. So um, I got my first class medical um, in March, and then uh, shortly thereafter, I actually just the other day I got my um, took my check ride for my commercial license and passed that. So um, just good news all around the past few months. Um, yeah. So
0: congratulations! Yeah, I know yeah. we we already applauded, but that is yeah, so thank awesome. You. Thank so, you. So
1: like. What were your feelings like after you got your special issuance? Like, were you like excited? Um, Because I know you texted me some things. So I kind of think there was like some hesitance there.
2: Yeah, I was super excited. Um, You know, I wasn't sure if I would get it. Um, And I was kind of expecting that, you know, I might not get it. Um, So it was it was a great surprise. I didn't quite expect it that soon i mean it's it's taken a while, but um you know after my aviation doctor told me that i I should be hearing back pretty soon um, I heard back and right around that time and and I got the letter in the mail um so it was it was a big excitement and um you know I can finally you know continue uh the career path that that I've wanted to since you know high school so um hopefully I can you know build my hours and hopefully get get to the airlines um eventually so
1: so is that now like your goal like you're back on track to what you wanted to do
2: yeah definitely so um I don't know if I said it last time but um ever since you know high school since I got into aviation that's that's kind of where I want to end up um as a professional pilot so um the commercial license I just got is is the next step and then I'll I'll probably um, get my CFI and start instructing, and uh, build the hours required for the um, ATP. So that's kind of where I'm at.
0: That's nice, so
1: exciting. The <laughs> one thing that I wanted to kind of point out is like we don't really get to update on the special issuance process. I think a lot of times M and I talk about the special issuance process and we say how laborious it is. And we don't get to share the end process where people do obtain it. Um, okay. Lots of times we're just like, we don't know. Everyone's in limbo. But I think if you really do put your head down and are able to go through the process and obviously pay the money and take the time to do it, that that typically it ends with a good scenario, like what has happened for you. So um, that is so exciting to hear. I, I look forward to seeing you like a like get your dreams and chase those goals and um we applaud you for going through the process really because I know it's just like a really tough thing to go through
2: yeah definitely um yeah thank you and I hope it gives um gives the listeners some motivation maybe if they're in the SI process to keep pushing forward um I know it takes a while but it's definitely worth it in the end um you know, that's the only way you can get back to flying potentially. So, um, unfortunately that's, that's how it is right now. Hopefully the, um, SI process, especially for the SSRI process, um, improves, you know, and I know you guys are working on that. Um, and yeah, I, it's, uh, it's, it's a great feeling. There's still a lot of work to do as far as the process and, um, the FAA goes, but, um, yeah, I'm excited.
0: Well, Goose, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and to our listeners, because I know it will be super encouraging. I do have one last question for you. What are you most excited about for this in this new chapter? Like, are you super stoked for instructing? And do you have like your eyes on a certain airline?
2: Um, as far as the airlines, I'm not too sure yet. I think, you know, that's a ways off. Um, I'm kinda just looking forward to flying different airplanes. Um, I've I've flown mostly like Cessna 172, 150, uh, Piper Cherokees, but you know, I'm looking forward to getting into bigger, more complex airplanes. Um, hopefully something with a turbine in the in the future will be nice. So
0: Oh, yeah. Well, best of luck to you. And again, thank you so much. I am so stoked for you. I'm like just smiling ear to ear because like Maddie (laughs) said, it's just this is awesome to hear. And again, it is really, really encouraging. So thank you again, Goose.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.